Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Misty. So for all of you who have been here for a while, thanks for coming and coming back and listening listening to I'm a Survivor. Um, and so I appreciate all of your support. And for those of you who've never listened before, hi, nice to meet you. Um, so the very top of the podcast, as you all um, have, if you've ever heard of any of the other episodes, you know, if you're in a very volatile, um, abusive relationship, please do not listen to this podcast. By no means, um, we do not want you to put yourself in harm's way. You know, um, you just don't want to listen if you're in an abusive relationship and you don't want to have to hide and, and, you know, hide around and listen. So. That being said, if you have come out of a relationship or maybe you are in an abusive relationship, maybe you're away from um, your abuser and you are needing to call on help, uh, I suggest very first thing to do is call a crisis line in your um, neck of the woods, in your state. Call those 1-800 numbers in your state that are located there because that's where you're going to get your first help. If you just need help and assistance and you're just somewhere in the United States, you can call on the domestic, uh, the National um, Domestic Violence Hotline number, which is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. That is a wonderful resource. But if you get on the line and you get, it's busy and you can't get through to an advocate, um, you can also go to domesticshelters.org. They have a search engine. You can find shelters. You can find, uh, you know, nonprofits who do this work that can get you some sort of uh, either legal assistance, um, you know, support group counseling or something like that. So those are some great, you know, tools that you can use, some some great um, resources. So today's guest, and we're I don't know about her, but I'm still not woke up today. <laughs> so it's like uh 12 14 and it p.m central time but my guest today her name is georgia apiano she is a dv survivor and advocate of pr- the president and founder of mcp appraisals and company or inc the closing machine llc um if we have your permission georgette we will record Yes, of course you do. Okay, great. So, Miss Georgette and I met online. Um, I think that she had saw me on Instagram, and we just kind of became friends. And through that friendship, I learned a lot of wonderful things about Miss Georgette. And I'm going to let her kind of take the floor and introduce herself to you guys, and kind of you know briefly go over what she's went through. She's a survivor, like like I had previously said. And now, with, through all of her, you know, work and efforts, uh, she came out on the other side of being a DV survivor, and now she helps women. So, hey, hey, Georgette. <laughs> Hi, how you doing, Missy? I'm great. Um, so, so if you'd like to just talk to the people and tell them a little bit about yourself and tell them your story, and sure. Um, 
I'm a mom of four daughters and I'm also a grandmother. I have four grandchildren. I was married for 27 years to an abusive drug addict, alcoholic criminal. It was very difficult. Um, I lived through having the local police, the FBI, federal marshals at my house so often and for so many years that you would think they were my friends. Um, my message that I like everyone to know is I, I think that victims are shamed by society and I think that sometimes victim, victims can be further victimized by authority figures. That's what I experienced. Mm. I also think that the abuse starts at a young age, even if it's just a child being exposed to unacceptable behavior. It conditions them to think this is okay. Um, so I did run into a lot of obstacles with authority figures like the police when I, I needed help because um, I, I felt I was being victimized by them even further, but not because I am saying that they weren't doing their job. I think it's because they don't understand and they're not educated. And I think that that's a message and a lesson that we need to teach to people that are in authority. And I know that you've talked about that a lot on other podcasts, and I really identify with that. Mm, absolutely. Because there were a lot of, you know, times when you know i was helped and i didn't feel further victimized absolutely yeah so yeah the um law officers that come out to to assist in dv calls a lot of times like you were saying you know they're not educated uh trauma informed or you know they don't they don't realize uh you know the victim is really going through a lot and sometimes, you know, they just come out on the scene and it's kind of like, okay, what do we do in this situation? And, and a lot of times, you know, it's, it's lack of education. It truly is. Yeah. I'm yeah. And times when they come to help me, um, my ex-husband would make it look like I was the crazy one. And there would be times when they would believe him. Mm. And, you know, that was difficult because I was so scared. Right. Um, I also think that all abusers are not addicts. And I think that that's a missing misconception. Like, you know, if you're an addict, you're an abuser. Mm -hmm. So like, that's part of a message and like education that I think everybody needs to, you know, learn about. And, um, you know, people say, you know, how did you end up here? You know, how do you let this happen to you? But, you know, the abuse doesn't start out intense. It, it, it grows and becomes intensified over time. And it starts by, you know, the victim being in the dark, being isolated, controlling and changing your thoughts without you even realizing it's happening. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I found that was difficult is friends and family you know, saying things like, you know, you should just try to get along with him. Nobody's perfect. You made your, you made your bed now lie in it. Like none of that is helpful, you know, or why did you stay so long? Like instead, you know, when a victim does make it out on the other side, instead of saying all those things, like, you know, we should be saying, congratulations, you did a great job. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. 
100%. You know, we people need people to be empathetic and be compassionate. Um, and victims more so than anyone, they need people to believe them. You know, even if you don't understand what they have went through, just believe them, hold their hand, be sympathetic. You don't have to be sympathetic, be empathetic. Um, you know, be show empathy and compassion where that is needed because that's what victims really need is someone to be like, you know what? I, I understand, you know, I, I might not understand this, but I believe you and I will listen to you. And if there is any way I can help you, then that's what I'll do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, you know, Misty, I lived through homelessness. I was evicted five times. Um, I didn't have necessities to live like food, water, shelter, utilities, you know, at different times, you know, not all at once, some, you know. I I got 10 restraining orders and dropped them all. On June 25th of 2012, I was granted a permanent restraining order, but before I was granted the restraining order, the judge said restraining order is denied. You're using this court to play games. You've had nine other restraining orders denied. And at that point, you know, the abuse was so bad and so heightened. I was so terrified. Like, how was I going to go back to this house? Like, you know, he probably, he knew what I was doing. And I was in court with my daughter. And the courtroom really was only the judge, the court reporter, myself and my daughter. And it was late in the afternoon. And out of the blue, my daughter, who's like extremely quiet, raised her hand and said, um, excuse me, Your Honor. My father called my mother on the way to court, and I recorded it. Do you want to hear it? And um, she said, bring it up and play the recording. You know, everyone could hear it. And she listened to it. It was a long recording. And when it was over, she said, every human right that you have was violated in this one phone call. Restraining order granted. Mm. And it was like... By the grace of God, I got that restraining order because I don't know what would have happened to me if I went home after he knew what I was doing for so many hours because I was in court from 8 o'clock in the morning until probably 4 o'clock when I was able to see the judge. So um, it was a difficult road. It was a lot of abuse. It was mental abuse. It was um, abuse with money. It was physical abuse. It it was scary. It got progressively worse. You know, he was in and out of jail towards the end, which was, you know, not a nice thing to also have to live through. Mm -hmm. But what I found was when um, the victim gets autonomy, it threatens the abuser and eventually the the abuser will lose their power. So, um, I, you know, I had no education. I only had a high school education. I had four children when I was young. Um, so I, I really couldn't work and take care of the kids. I had no parents because they died when I was young. I had no mother-in-law because she also passed away. So it was just me and the abuser. And, um, it was very difficult to live through it, and it was a lot of hardships. And I was many times when I thought 
I, I didn't die. Like, how did I not die? Like, thank God I got out of this, you know? Yeah. And um, I decided one day when I was sitting in my car because I couldn't really stay at home comfortably. So whenever I got to drive the kids somewhere or something, I would spend more time in the car just not to go home. And um, what happened was actually throughout all this, I did go to therapy and I never had money. So I would go to the township and to the state and find, you know, where I could get services where it wouldn't cost me money. And my first therapist was through my township where I live and it was free. And then after that, um, I found through family services in my community, they gave me um, therapy for $25, you know, a week. And I was able to do that. And so I always, did that and I always went of course to Al-Anon meetings which was like therapy for me also and I um, would call the domestic violence hotlines a lot and be able to speak to someone on the other end and to me that was like therapy also and all of these things combined helped me to get out of it and one night when I was on the phone with um, domestic violence hotline the woman said to me you know, well, what can you do? So I said, oh, I can't do anything. Um, I only went to high school. I'm, I'm a mom. I, you know, I, I don't have any skills. There's nothing I can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, what did you do before? Before all this happened, before you were a mom, before. So I said, oh, before this, I worked in Manhattan. I was a legal secretary for two partners. We were, um, the attorneys for a bank in Manhattan, we did all the closings, I typed the mortgages, I figured out the math, I ordered the appraisal, and I went on and on and on to tell her everything I did. And she's like, well, that doesn't sound like nothing, that sounds like something. And like shortly after that, when I was in my car, waiting for one of my kids, like picking them up, I took this little piece of paper and a pen, and I wrote down, this business plan of what I did and what I knew how to do and how I can create my own business. And, um, I created my appraisal company, which was a real estate appraisal company. And I created an extension of the real estate appraisal company, which was a real estate company that would have attorneys, title, construction, everything you need to get into a home. But I knew that the appraisals was going to be the first company because I knew every transaction needed an appraisal. So I I knew just selling real estate wasn't going to give me um, like financial stability because, you know, one month you sell, one month you don't sell. So I created this business on a piece of paper and then I began to execute it. Um, And I started doing it. And I got a computer and I needed a fax machine and I borrowed $50 from someone to get this fax machine. And I started doing it and it was really difficult, but I I had this confidence that I could definitely do this. And I had this knowledge like that. I forgot that I had all about real estate and, um, I, you know, called up clients to um, ask for business and I was on the phone with somebody from California and she said, why should I give you the work? And I said, 
because if you use me for one order, you'll have the best service that you will ever experience from anyone that you could possibly give the work to. So if you just give me one, you'll be so surprised with the service you're going to get. She gave it to me. I performed and outperformed, of course, and I did it over and over again. And um, while I was doing this little business out of my house, um, I got evicted for the fifth time. And um, we left. We had no place to go. We were homeless again, you know. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to do this. Like. This is not going to be my life. I'm not going to be 50 years old still living like this. And I'm not going to stop. And I'm going to take care of me and my daughters. I was like, just determined. So I had little part-time jobs while I was doing this because I needed money for food and all that. And, um, you know, he didn't really work. You know, it was useless, you know, to think he was going to give us anything. And, um... I borrowed money from somebody I worked with and a friend, and I borrowed a total of $5,000. And I took the money, he knew I had it, and he wanted me to give it to the landlord to move back into this house. And I said, no, you're too far behind on the rent. It doesn't make any sense. We're not doing it. We're going to get another house, right? Mm -hmm. So... The next few days, you know, you, you have nowhere to sleep. You sleep at people's houses. You know how it's a terrible life experience, believe me. Mm. Um, I slept with them $5,000 in my pocketbook, in cash, underneath my body so he couldn't take it. I wouldn't even give him $5 for food. I just would not break the $5,000 because I had a plan. And there was a house that I wanted that was for sale. Of course, I couldn't buy it because I owned the house. It went into foreclosure. I lost it. I had terrible credit, you know. But um, I also knew that it was a time when the market was changing and it wasn't really so noticeable to the public. I don't think everybody realized what was going on. Um, it, it didn't completely collapse yet. So... Um, I researched the house. I researched the person who bought it. He bought it like as a flip. I researched everything. And um, I, I said, I can't buy it now. I don't have the credit. I had some problems, blah, blah, you know, but I can pay you rents. And, you know, I offered a higher rent than what was average for the market at that time. And he gave me the house. And I gave him the $5,000 as, you know, the deposit and all that. And I was able to hook up my fax machine and continue. So I was working several jobs. And in the morning and the evening, I was doing my business. I was working on the floor. Then I was working on the top of boxes when I unpacked some things. Then I graduated to like a $5 folding table that I bought at like a flea market, you know. And... Um, that was in May, and by July, I paid the $5,000 back to everybody I borrowed the money from, and I began to make money. So my first um, check was $75, and when it came in the mail, I'm like, wow, it works. 
And then from $75, it went to like $750. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like so much money. Because you have to also understand it's so much money for a person who literally had no water at times, no electric, no gas, no how you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, not know what to cook. Mm-hmm. And um after that it went to like two thousand, twenty five hundred, and I started getting so busy that you know, I had to quit my little jobs, so I, I, I did. And I mean, Misty, I worked so many hours and so hard. All I did was just take a few hours every day to sleep. And while I was doing this is the time that I called that I was gaining my autonomy mm. and my abuser saw what I was doing and you would think that if we had no money and no food and what have you, he would be grateful to me. Right. Mm. And he would let me do what I need to do. Now the torture and the abuse got worse. Mm. I mean, I would go in the basement to do laundry and he'd lock me in the basement. He'd lock me in the house. He'd lock me out of the house. If I went out to go do something, he would rip up, all of the work that was cut, would come through back in the day in a fax machine. He would start ripping it, so then I have no way of knowing what work I was supposed to be working on. Um, you know, hitting me, restraining me, you know, pulling hair out of my head, I, you know. And the more people worked for me and the more people called me and the, and the, and you know, he would answer the phone and everybody only wanted to talk to me, the angrier he got, because I looked at it as I'm gaining autonomy and he's losing his power. So I stayed very quiet as this went on. You know, he, he stole so much money from me. I, I, you know, I would have to research to see how much, but it was tremendous amounts of money that he stole from me. Mm. And I just kept working and working. And then it got to the point where he was in and out of jail. And when he wasn't in jail, I would actually pay for him to go live in a hotel just so I could work for a week in peace. And if I would give him cigarettes and money for his drugs and alcohol, he would go, you know? Mm. And, um, I did all this and I saved money on the side. And then, um, it, it was just one day, um, you know, my aunt who was like a mom to me because I didn't have a mom. She died when I was young, um, died. And I went to her services and it was absolutely beautiful. And, you know, there was baby pictures of me there and everything. And I'm like, I didn't realize that anybody cared about me because I was so disconnected from anybody in my life. I just thought nobody cared about me anymore. And I was surprised to see all this and um, to be treated like, you know, I was part of the family. It surprised me and people were, you know, giving me their condolences and coming over to me. And one woman came over to me and said, you know, I know you don't remember me, but I remember you when you were a little girl and I knew your mother and father. And she said, Rosie had such a wonderful life. She was always so happy and she loved you and your daughters so much. Mm. And looked over at my aunt and in my head, I said, well, 
I'm certainly not going to die. And someone's going to tell my daughters, Georgette had such a terrible life. And that was the next day after the services were over, which was um, June 25th, 2012, is when I went to court and the judge told me no. And then my daughter had that recording that I got the restraining order. It was around four o'clock. I, and then I went and I changed the locks, which is something I would always be, I was afraid of him. I would never challenge him. Right. And um, he came back to the house, throwing things to try and break the windows. And I, I mean, I can't even tell you some of the stuff he did. And I just kept calling the cops and putting him in jail because he was breaking the restraining order. And he would email me and he would call me. And when he called me, I hung up. When he emailed me, I saved it for evidence and I wouldn't read it. Right. And so finally was, you know, and then I got a lawyer and um, I said, I want to get divorced. I don't have a lot of money. I saved up some money for the divorce. I said, this is all I have. He's abusing me. I can't stay married. I want a divorce. And um, I finally got the divorce in September. Mm. It didn't actually take that long from May. It was from May till September. It's, you know, yeah. till I did it. And, you know, I still have my company. I'm still working. Some of my daughters work for me. I'm grateful for that. You know, I have licenses now. Um, my daughter has uh, more licenses than me, and she helps me out in the business. And I never looked back, and I never spoke to him again. And I also never told my kids, you can't speak to him. I, I never... I never really like talk poorly about him. I, you know, I said, yeah, he's an addict and stuff like that, but I never told them what they could do because I didn't want to be responsible for making a decision for them. Mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, continued to see him and they would ask me, um, mommy, he has no food. He has no deodorant. I pack a bag, send it with them. And until eventually they, on their own, decided not to see him because he was unreliable and, you know, all the other qualities that comes with being, you know, an addict and a right. criminal. On their own, they decided not to talk to him. Yeah. And, um, you know, today I have four grandchildren. I have my four daughters. You know, between us, we have five houses that we all own. And sometimes when I get to go to their houses or they come to my houses, my house, I can't, like, it, it overwhelms me that, like, we accomplished this much and, like, my daughters all went to college and, you know, they're all working hard women and they're all independent and, you know, just at times if they come visit me or if I visit them or I, I just say, I just can't believe that this is what we have and how blessed I am to be able to see my grandchildren mm. because it was times I, I really thought he was going to kill me by accident, but I thought I was going to die. Let me ask you a question. So now, and we've only got a few minutes left, so I want to kind of like go over this briefly. So now you made a pact with God. If you overcame this and you survived, you were going to help women. Yeah. I prayed all the time. Yeah. My, I, you know, I was raised Catholic. I always prayed to Jesus mm -hmm. and the Blessed Virgin, and I prayed to the Blessed Virgin mostly. And I said, I want to do this company. I wanted, I, I understand real estate. It's in, I understand every aspect of it. I can do it. Help me create this business. Help me make money 
doing it and then send me anybody that you want to send me and I will take care of them. So I, I do. And my most recent person that I helped, I got her into an apartment on April 1st. Mm. Uh, she was an abusive relationship. He was, you know, also with the money being abusive with, you know, bankruptcies that she didn't know about and, mm-hmm. you know, terrible credit. And she was being evicted and she had a 16 year old daughter and she had nowhere to live. So, um, I called investors that I work with that own a lot of buildings in my community. And I said, this is what I got going on. She doesn't have good credit. I got to get her in a place to live. She has a job, but she needs help. We need, you know, you know, sometimes just because you don't have good credit or you don't have money because you need so much money to rent something today, especially doesn't mean if you don't get help, you can't then maintain it. So, um, he gave her the apartment. It, was a decent rent. It wasn't terrible, but you know, you need a month and a half security and you need the first month's rent. So it adds up to a lot of money and she had no money. So I went to the social services. I I directed her to social services. I directed her to different organizations. So that because I, I am familiar with it because I lived through it and I got the first month's rent paid by one organization, the deposit money paid from another organization. I made sure she got food stamps. I made sure she knew about getting health insurance for her child. Well, you know what? We got a minute left and I want to say one thing to you. I'm very proud of you and I'm very proud to know you. Um, It's women like you with tenacity and the resilience to continue to do the work. Um, you're putting in the work, you're putting back in the work. So you overcame something so severe with domestic violence and now you're giving back and now you're helping women. And I'm so proud you came on and talked about what you've been through and what you're doing now. Um, but yeah, just briefly, I got, we got to get off here. We got like 30 seconds left. So if you want to just say a, a little something in 30 seconds. I, I- want to say no matter how bad it is because I couldn't even touch on how bad it was for me but I literally had nothing and I I do have a house I do have food you know you it's okay to ask for help and go get resources but you know you're very capable and everybody has a talent that they can use to survive in life and we're all entitled to have a place to sleep to have food we're all entitled to it we're all humans Hey guys, we're back. Um, it kind of cut Georgette off in her last statement that she wanted to make on her goodbye. Um, so tell tell the listeners out here, if they're in an re- abusive relationship and they're trying to get out, what would you tell the young ladies um, if they're listening now? I, I just want to say we're all human beings. We're entitled to this decent life. There's help out there. It's okay to ask for help. There's different organizations in your township, in your city, in your state. Go get help. Ask people for help. And you're capable of changing your life and doing something. Everybody's capable. God gave us working bodies. And everybody has something inside of them that will let you survive and live a decent life. We all have a right to that. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you so much, Georgette, for coming on the podcast um, I've really appreciated uh, listening to your story and listening to your wisdom, um, you know, because I think that women 
all around will get a lot of wisdom from hearing about your survival and how you were able to overcome and be resilient. Um, and so, but thank you again. And hey guys, listen to the, listen to this episode. And if you would like to support it, there is a support button on, on the episode here. Um, and you can boost her episode to where she can get more listens and, you know, that way she can get out of here and, and you'll know who she is. So follow Georgette. If you want to follow her, she is listed on Instagram. Um, you know, I don't know how she would go about accepting friendships, but you know, um, she's an amazing human being an amazing lady. And listen, thank y'all for coming in and listening and I'll see you. Or I always say I'll see you on the next podcast, but I will talk to you on the next podcast. Bye everyone.